Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. And before I go any further with anything, I'd like to say hello to some good friends I met recently at a wonderful marriage congress in Crookston, Minnesota. I want to say hello to all those good people who listen to our program in that northern Minnesota area. And also I'd like to commend the Diocese of Crookston. They invited me there, along with our Tabor Life Institute that I'm part of, to give some talks and presentations on a marriage congress. They did a whole year of marriage, and it was just a marvelous, marvelous congress, a marvelous year of marriage. I want to commend and actually refer people to this diocese. It's a small diocese up in northwestern Minnesota where they do a lot of sugar beet farming in that area, I learned. <laughs> but boy, they pulled off a marvelous program on marriage. And I'm pointing that out today because we're going to be talking a little bit about the synod that's going on in Rome concerning family and marriage and pastoral applications and considerations and issues and so on. And I would like everyone to know that as a reference, the Diocese of Crookston marriage program is a marvelous thing for any other diocese or even individuals or couples to check in on what they did there. I was glad to be a part of it. So I want to say hello to them, congratulations to them and to their bishop, Bishop Michael Hepner of Crookston, Minnesota. Also, hello to all of our other faithful listeners there. As always, we're glad to have you here, especially those of you who are listening in prison. This is our way to reach out to you. We're privileged to do so, and you're all in our prayers. Today is also a feast day in the Eastern liturgical calendar of a great saint, St. Demetrius. He lived way back in the third century, and Demetrius He's one of those saints where a lot of stories and healings are attached to him. And I'm going to read one of those stories from the great book that I always talk about here, the Prologue from Okrit. The Prologue from Okrit also can be called the Synaxarian. Wonderful books. Comes in four-volume set or sometimes two-volume set. Highly recommended for every household to read, especially at dinner time as a family. Gather around the table at least once a day and read from the Synaxarian. So here's a little story about St. Demetrius. He was a miracle of St. Demetrius of Salonika. He was, in his lifetime, a military commander. He did not lay down this office at death. People felt his presence in Salonika, especially at times of great need. He defended the city, kept misfortune at distance, repelled invaders, and helped all who called upon his name. Now here's a wonderful example of his help to people in need. The barbarians once invaded Salonika, but could not take it. Infuriated by this, they plundered the whole area and took two beautiful maidens into captivity, giving them to their prince. The girls were skilled in embroidery, and when the prince saw some of their handiwork, he said to them, I hear that there is in your land a great god, Demetrius, who works great wonders. 
embroider his face on linen for me. The girls told him that St. Demetrius is not a god, but a servant of the true God and helper of Christians. And they at first refused to embroider the saint's face. But when the prince threatened them with death, they promised to do it and finish the work by St. Demetrius's day. On the eve of the feast, therefore, they both looked at their work and wept with sorrow. One of them because they had to spend the feast in slavery and the other because they had to give the embroidered likeness of their beloved saint to an unclean barbarian. And the two maidens prayed to St. Demetrius to forgive them. Then the saint appeared and took both maidens as an angel had once taken the prophet Habakkuk. He took them to Salonika and set them down in his church. There the all-night vigil service was in progress and a great many people were gathered in the church. Learning of the miraculous saving of these two Christian girls, everyone glorified God and his great servant and commander, Demetrius. So, St. Demetrius, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, he's depicted very similar to St. George with the horse you know, and the spear as a, as a great warrior. But he, and ultimately, he was a warrior for the true faith, a warrior against evil. As I mentioned, there's a synod has been going on in Rome, and proud to say the Orthodox Church has been invited, the representatives, to contribute to this synod. Now, this is very interesting because during the Second Vatican Council, the Orthodox Church was invited, but they were just observers. They were present. The Eastern Catholic Churches, however, had a very important influence in the Second Vatican Council. Many things were influenced by the theology and spirituality of the Eastern Churches in those councils. Many of the completed documents of that council were very influenced by the Eastern Churches. However, the Orthodox at the Second Vatican Council were simply viewers, onlookers witnesses. But this time, they're invited to actually contribute. And this is some of what they said. And I'm going to read some sources I have are from the National Catholic Register, and this is dated October 11, 2014. The fraternal delegates, including a representative of the Orthodox Ecumenical Patriarchate and the Russian Orthodox Church's head of external relations, have been sharing their views on the pastoral challenges to the family at the Extraordinary Synod of Bishops on the Family. At a Holy See press office briefing Saturday, reporters were informed that the ecclesial leaders emphasized the previous day that the hopes and challenges attached to the family unit are common to all Christians, and there is no lack of difficulties. The Vatican said they highlighted the economic crisis. The mass media, which at times propose models that lead to adultery, factors such as wars, migrations, globalization, the drama of diseases such as HIV, AIDS, and Ebola, and Islamic fundamentalism present in some countries. And I want to stop here and point out that in America, many of the issues that we face are not exactly the same as issues that are faced in other cultures. Some of them are similar, as you heard the Orthodox delegates say. Universally, there is a challenge to marriage and family life. But other countries and cultures, based on their situations, have other kinds of priorities. We here in this culture are fighting the whole redefinition of marriage, whereas that may not be the case in other cultures, but they're fighting things like young ladies being kidnapped and sold into sexual slavery, the families being broken up by war and by being held hostage and kidnapped and having members of the family killed and so on. Whatever the circumstances, they, they vary in degree in different cultures, the bottom line is marriage and family are in hard times nowadays from what I would call internal and external stressors, meaning things that are happening from the outside world that press in on families and things that happen within families themselves. So the church is trying to respond. So I'll read a little bit more about what the Orthodox said. 
All these threats continually place the good of the family at risk in every context. The fraternal delegates said all Christians need adequate marriage preparation and appropriate reflection on marriage between believers and non-believers. Regarding the divorced and remarried, they said their acceptance in the church may give them new hope and promote a more serene family life, thus creating a richer society. The Orthodox also stressed the importance of listening to difficult family situations as the church wishes always to help those who suffer looking both at the sacred scriptures and at the problems of contemporary life. Now, I'm going to stop here again and comment on some of this. It's very important to know, because you don't get this in the media, you get a different interpretation, an incorrect one. It's important to know that what's happening at the Synod, and as you can hear even from what the Orthodox are saying here, that we have the lived experience of people. We might call that the pastoral situation, the pastoral considerations. And that has to be balanced with the integrity of what the church teaches and stands for and and incarnates from God's order of creation. In other words, the sacraments, the holiness of marriage and family. The church cannot compromise on what those things really are because they come from God, they're designed by God, and God did not change the order of creation. He did not change marriage and family. He did not change the human person. We're still made male and female for the purposes of coming together as man and woman in marriage to enter into that union and communion of persons, to enter into an image of the very interior life of the Trinity, to live and to love spousally, to imitate God's love for us. Okay, that doesn't change. But what can change, or what is being looked at, is how do we take that beautiful reality that God has set up and the church speaks for and try to reincorporate people into it who have fallen away, through internal and external stresses of their own. So that's really what's happening in the synod. That's what the church always tries to do. It doesn't try to bend its teachings to accommodate the world, because the world's always telling us, get with it. Why don't you change your teachings? We can't do that, either east or west. And the east is very firm on that. They always have been very firm on the true teachings. That's why we observe and celebrate things like council fathers and the true teachings. So we cannot change that. But we can look at how to convey that and incorporate that and connect that with people in the lived conditions, which in this day and age are oftentimes very broken conditions. Okay, in relation to homosexual persons, a wish was expressed for listening and comprehension, far from any form of condemnation, while emphasizing that marriage is a union between a man and a woman. Now, you see the orthodox statement here is once again trying to reach that balance. How do we treat people as persons, regardless of what their particular situation is, their orientation that occurs through no fault of their own, at the same time emphasizing, as the Orthodox say here, marriage is a union between a man and a woman, a very special union, a sacramental union, a union that finds its context in the very life of the Trinity and in God's spousal love with us, his bride. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Orthodox, the Eastern contribution to this whole study of the family and marriage when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Okay, we're back here at Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. So glad that you are here with us. And we're talking about the synod that's happening in Rome, in which, proud to say, glad to say, that the Eastern Orthodox churches were invited to contribute. And we're talking about their contribution, some of the things that they're saying, which you notice are not much different in their essence than what the Latin Rite churches are saying. In other words, we both converge. And that's part of the message of this program, Light of the East. What we're trying to do here is to show how, in the end, the two lungs of the church, as St. John Paul II would call it, both converge at the same point. That is, of course, God, our Trinitarian God. In Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, we converge at the same point, but we come to it by different ways, looking at it from different perspectives and with different emphasis, and yet still the same Trinitarian God, the same place we arrive at. So things will be different in some ways, but fundamentally, essentially, very much the same. Okay, so the Orthodox also said this at the Synod. Particular attention was paid towards children born in difficult contexts and all victims of violence, especially women and minors, as well as the defense of the most vulnerable, of those who have no voice. The delegates also stressed the importance of the proclamation of the gospel. The family is the first school of faith, it was said, and sharing the joy of the gospel is essential. Now, that's interesting because Pope Francis's theme has been, since he became Pope, joy. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes you can, so to speak, peg a certain pope with a certain word. In a sense, you could almost describe the whole papacy, their basic message in one word. Not exactly, but to some extent. For instance, St. John Paul II, if you want to use one word for him, it probably would be the word gift. So here, so far, Pope Francis can probably be described in the word joy. He's always emphasizing the joy of the gospel. Now, the Vatican said, in regard to the Orthodox's contribution, some differences were encountered regarding birth control, underlying the freedom of conscience of believers while respecting the meaning of love and marriage. In relation to second marriages, the Orthodox Church delegate said these are a deviation 
and only celebrated after a period of accompaniment by the church in an attempt to bring married couples towards reconciliation. The delegates of the churches present in the Middle East thanked Pope Francis for last year's prayer vigil for peace in Syria and across the world. And they emphasized the responsibility of the region's Christian families to evangelize within a largely Islamic context. I'm going to back up here a little bit so we get a little more insight into the Eastern approach to things. Now, first of all, we have to keep in mind that as an Eastern Catholic, I, of course, espouse and embrace, and I do try to teach and communicate and evangelize the Catholic Church's teaching on these issues, birth control and marriage and abortion, same-sex marriage and so on. At the same time, the Eastern Orthodox churches, or there is an Eastern perspective on these things, which comes to the same point ultimately, but may have a little different nuance or approach. One of those things you may have heard was when I just read is the issue on birth control, and it said, underlying the freedom of conscience of believers while respecting the meaning of love and marriage. Now, that's another balance that the Orthodox churches try to maintain. They believe, as the Catholic Church does, that birth control is not good. It, they would advise that it should be avoided. They do believe in the sacramentality of the one flesh union between husband and wife, and also that there should be always this purity and honesty between a couple in marriage, especially in the one flesh union, which by itself expresses the very essence of marriage. At the same time, the Orthodox Church generally don't go quite so far as the Catholic Church in saying that contraception is an intrinsic evil. The Catholic faith is very, very clear about that. The Orthodox churches don't seem to go that far. It is not that they are promoting it or suggesting contraception or birth control, but they just don't quite say it in the same way. They seem to have a little bit of this area where a couple can form their own conscience. Now, in the Catholic Church, East and West, we don't have that kind of, if you want to call it gray area or allowance, Again, it's different approaches. You have to understand where the Orthodox are coming from, where the East comes from. What happens is the East, they're not disagreeing with the Catholic Church on it, it's just that they tend to come from a perspective that doesn't always define something or everything as definitively as they do in the West. Now, that's actually part of the genius of both. The East allows a certain sense of mystery about something. And mystery doesn't mean, oh, well, we don't know, so we just kind of don't say anything. That's not mystery. Mystery means that maybe we're just not capable of capturing the reality fully and completely, 100% in our own minds, in our own words, and our own intellectual capabilities. And so we allow a certain degree of what they call mystery. The Catholic Church tends to go further, and it does tend to define things much more specifically. It's not that the Catholic perspective disavows this idea of mystery. Of course it knows that, for instance, the Eucharist, as much as you can say about it, is a mystery greater than we can comprehend. Yes, the Catholic Church, the Western lung of the Church, does have that, but at the same time, they go further in defining things. So when it comes to some of these issues, birth control, marriage and divorce, these are issues that still need to be worked out ecumenically between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church. Are they issues that need to keep us divided? I don't know that either church, East or West, would say yes to that. And I would also propose that when it comes to dividing, tearing apart the mystical body of Christ, this is what we have to understand 
This great schism between East and West, which should never have happened, this great schism between the, what do we call the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church, those terms were not applicable centuries ago. They became applicable only after the schism in 1054 AD, when the two divorced each other. Those terms, Orthodox and Catholic, they are, in a sense, artificial, as I mentioned. They only began, they came into existence, into use after the Great Divide, the Great Schism. But I would say this, and this is my particular perspective on all this, is that there has to be a pretty good reason, a very, very big reason. And in fact, is could there ever really be a reason to keep, maintain the body of Christ torn in half, disunified? I mean, why? Sometimes I wonder, why do we cling to that? Why do we seem to find reasons not to come back together? Are these reasons sufficient enough? They may be big considerations, I think the consideration of how we look at things like birth control and marriage and same-sex marriage and those kinds of things are big issues, and we have to obviously agree on them between East and West, and we do. It's just that there are different emphases and perspectives in how we approach it. But the question is, are those differences in perspective, are they such that they justify this horrible scandal, this horrible reality of keeping apart the body of Christ, keeping it disunified, keeping it torn? You know, this is the great scandal before the world, that the body of Christ, which is all about unity, Eucharist is all about unity, is torn. Why would we for a minute want to make sure that that stays that way? What is so great, what is so important, what is so different between us that we have to maintain that great tragedy? This is a question I put before the church as the host here of Light of the East, which is dedicated to unity in the church, East and West. And I challenge our churches, both East and West, to maybe look into their hearts and ask themselves that question. Why, why do we insist on preserving so great a tragedy and scandal? What, what justifies that? Big issues to work out? Yes. But why can we not be in communion with each other while we work out those issues? This is my question from Light of the East to the whole church. Now, in regard to some of these differences and emphasis, and I'm not talking about the more polemical things, such as birth control, how the Orthodox look at it, and how the Latin Rite, the Roman Catholic, Western Long of the Church looks at it. I'm talking about the approaches, basically, in our spirituality towards things like marriage and family. What would be the Eastern approach? Is it different than the West? Did the Orthodox or Eastern Catholics approach marriage and family differently than the West? Well, no, except that there are maybe emphasis that are different. For example, in the East, the emphasis or the model, the one we point to a lot, for the family is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that union and community of persons that St. John Paul II talked about a lot in his work, especially in his theology of the body. In the West, yes, of course, the Trinity is the ultimate model, but there is also an emphasis on the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. In fact, you'll see that reflected in the wedding ceremonies. There's mention of the Holy Family in the wedding ceremony of the Latin Rite Church. In the West, there more of the mention has to do with the Trinity, and also with some of the Old Testament figures that modeled marriage, you know, that marriage covenant and so on. And so the East is going to take a more Trinitarian emphasis 
Not that the two are different, east and west, fundamentally. It's just a matter of emphasis. And that emphasis then gives a certain character to how we see marriage and family, how we approach a lot of these issues on marriage and family, such as birth control and so on. And so in the East, you have a mystical Trinitarian emphasis. There's a strong emphasis also on marriage as being for children. The prayers are repeated often that involve or point to the bearing of children, the fruitfulness. In fact, we often say in the in the wedding ceremony in Eastern churches, that may, may you be fruitful. We always talk about fruitfulness in our prayers. So whatever we pray is always indication of what we believe in the Eastern churches. So it's a Trinitarian mystical approach to marriage and one that emphasizes its fruitfulness. But there's another element of marriage in the Eastern churches that's very strong as well. It's woven in there. And that is the element of monasticism. That's right. The couple is crowned in the Byzantine liturgical wedding ceremony. The couple is crowned with marriage. Crowns refer to martyrdom. And martyrdom is something that is very much a part of monastic life, very much a part of it. It's that idea of dying to self in order to rise to love the other, to love, first of all, God, and to love the other in God. So woven in many ways in the Eastern approach to marriage is a monastic dimension. And this is just some of the differences and emphasis that we'll find in many ways between the Eastern lung of the church and the Western lung of the church. But in the end, we both have our own riches and we enrich each other and we enrich the world. All the more reason to be one again in Christ. I'm Father Thomas Lea. Thanks for listening to Light of the East. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. <laughs>